Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the reading of God's word. Good to see everybody here. Merry Christmas to everyone here. Um, uh, like Jason had just mentioned, um, you know, it's ironic that as the church tries to celebrate Christmas that it would actually cancel Sunday services. Um, I didn't know that was a trend, uh, but apparently it is. But, you know, I want you to know, um, Christmas that falls on a Sunday, the next time this happens will be 11 years from now. Okay, 11 years from now. So uh, you don't have to worry about skipping Christmas or skipping church uh, for 11 years, all right? So, but it is, uh, it is something kind of interesting to do. Um, I, I don't know. I, when it comes to church and, and Sunday, I'm not, I'm not, you know, so keen on trying to, like, incorporate everything and make everything Christmassy. But um, it is a time where we, uh, as Christians, uh, try and remember not only the blessings that we have, but also what we call the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so that's what I want to do. I'm going to give you a very short sermon. Uh, we have a presentation right after from Dayspring, just a cute little one. I don't expect a Broadway play, but um, it, it's something I think for the family members. But today, uh, I'd like to just be a little more practical. When you think about the birth of Jesus Christ, I mean, if we really think about it, not, not the nativity scene, not the little, you know, pictures of Jesus and, and the, you know, Martha or Mary and Joseph and the baby in a manger, but uh, when you think about God becoming a baby, uh, what, what does that mean for you? I know, and if you've been to church, you know it means, well, Jesus come and he's going to be our Savior. But, but practically speaking, like concretely, that God, right, the Son of God, the creator of the world, becomes like a baby, a human being who looks like you and I or you and me. What can we take away from this? If we're really trying to think about Christmas time, what can I, what can I glean from that, from that, that event uh, in my life, right? If the meaning of Christmas is the birth of Jesus Christ, then the church ought to remember the incarnation of the living God. Incarnation, God becomes human being, all right? And if you think about the incarnation, it's the most practical thing you can consider. And I think that's why we looked at here in Philippians chapter 2, as Aaron just read for us, verses 5 to 11. Paul gives us very practical implications of what it means that God became a man, that the incarnation happened, okay? And that's where we're going to look. It's a crazy idea that Jesus was 
born, that God becomes a man. I mean, if you really think about it, um, it, it's a little strange to wrap around our minds with, but it's very practical. And the, the exhortation here in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is giving us things to think about, but also to do. And so he says in verse 5, have this mind among yourself. So he's saying verse 5, and what he's going to say afterwards is this. He says, embrace this outlook. Uh, think like this. If you understand who Jesus is, right, if you want to believe in who Jesus is and what he has done, especially in the incarnation, this is the mindset that you need to have. This is the attitude of Jesus Christ. What is that? And if I could sum it up in one word, it would be humility. Humility. If you believe in the incarnation, if you believe in the Christmas story, this should make a difference in how you live your life. In these four verses here by the Apostle Paul, I see four things, okay? Have this mind. Be like this. Think like this. Four things I see. The first is this word we call theologically. It's called abnegation. And it's found here in verse 6. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Abnegation means you kind of negate yourself. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, practically it means this. Verse 6 says, Jesus refused to stand on his own right. He demanded, when he became man, he refused to demand to be treated as he really deserved. When God becomes a baby, he refused to cling to his own prerogatives. It was a refusal to come into this world and demand that the world treat him as he properly deserves. I mean, think about it. If you're the ruler of the world and you came to see people, how do you expect to be treated? And what we're told here in verse 6 is that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It means he refused to be treated by his own right. It's the very opposite of what we do today, isn't it? We fight for our rights. We struggle. We argue. We, we have conflicts for what we think is rightfully ours. And that's not to say that that's wrong all the time, but what you need to see is there is abnegation here. Jesus could have done that. I am the Lord. You treat me the way I should be treated. But no, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He gave up his rights. That's what he's saying. Okay? The second thing I see, if Jesus became man, the second thing Paul tells us in verse 7, he emptied himself. Emptied himself. Now what does that mean? It means that when he became a man, he abased himself. He made himself nothing. What does that mean? It means status and reputation. Status and reputation. When Jesus, or Paul says, Jesus empties himself, it means that he removed from himself his status and his reputation. Okay? Jesus had status. He's the Son of God. He removes that status. He empties himself of that. Jesus has reputation, the creator of the world. And he removes himself from that. 
Do you know what reputation is? Reputation is not just what you think about yourself. Reputation is what others think about you. That's reputation. And Jesus ought to have had the greatest reputation, but he empties himself. Thirdly, okay, abnegation, he empties himself. Thirdly, what I see here, because Jesus became a man, verse 7, again, he takes the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, okay? He took the form of a servant. So not only does he say, I'm not going to stand on my rights, I'll become a man. I'm not going to uh, demand my reputation or my status. I'm going to empty myself. But he says, I'm going to take on the form of a servant, a bond slave, it literally says. Took the form of a servant. Jesus saying, uh, I'm going to be your slave, a servant of the people. Okay? Not me. Not for me, for you. That's what I'm doing. That's the third thing I see here. And lastly, the fourth thing I see is this. Verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. That's humiliation. Humbled himself on a cross. You know on a cross, you, you've heard this before, right? Only the worst people die on a cross. Yeah, only criminals die on a cross. It's torture, right? And yet this is what he does. He humbles himself. In other words, he endures humiliation and shame. And, and this is completely different from what we would like to think about. Many of us who live our lives, we're trying to make sure that we stay safe. We are trying to make sure that we are protected. We're trying to be guarded, not just from physical suffering like a, like a death on a cross, but we don't want to even experience shame or humiliation. We're busy trying to make sure even the closest to us don't see who we really are and what we're really like, lest we be put to shame. So we fight for our rights. We stand on our own reputation and care about what others think about us. We refuse to, to serve to a certain point because we need to serve ourselves and we avoid shame and humiliation. Complete opposite of what happened to Jesus when he becomes a man. And yet Paul is saying here in our passage, you have this mind. Have this mind. Take this attitude among yourself. Look at Jesus and be like him. Now, um, I could uh, just stop right here and say, hey, this is what Jesus was. Four things, right? Abnegation, right? Uh, he emptied himself. Uh, he took on a form of a servant. And he experienced shame and humiliation for others, right? So you be like this. Let's pray. That's Christmas, isn't it? But I have a problem with this. You know, a lot of people out there think that, well, Jesus, he is a, a good man because he was a poor man. He was an outsider, a wise prophet who spoke against the power structures of his day. And that's absolutely true in some sense. But that's all they think about when they think about Jesus Christ. And so if this is all we think about, if all I tell you today is, this is four things Jesus was like, you go be like him, what's the difference? I might as well tell you to be like Gandhi. He's not perfect, but I, I you know... I might tell you to be like Mohammed. I might as well tell you, be like Confucius. 
Be like, I don't know, Mother Teresa. Be like Jesus. All of these people in history, they all had these similar traits. And if all I did was say, hey, be like Jesus, because this is four things he did, you be like that. I have a problem with that. Let me explain. Be like Jesus is not the gospel. Okay? If be like Jesus is the gospel then I have some really bad news for you today. You and I are all going to hell. Because there is nobody good enough to be like this Jesus and accepted by this God. But that is not what Paul is saying here in our passage. Paul is not saying, be like Jesus and you will be saved. Paul is writing this letter to a church, to believers to people who realize that the reason they need Jesus is precisely because they are not like him. And this is why the incarnation, the incarnation is so important because there's something here that we cannot relate with, and that is the humility of Christ. Verse 7 through 8, he was born in the likeness of human beings, found in human form. That's humility for Jesus Christ. Is being born a human humility for you? Because for us, we can't relate with this. Being born a person is not an act of humility for me and you. We're not lesser beings than our parents because we were born from our parents. There's nothing humble about you and me being born as a person. It's natural. But for the living God to be manifest in humanity, take upon himself the fullness of mankind, live in our flesh and blood, for him, that is an act of humility. And that's something that we can't relate with. It's utterly ridiculous to think about this. You know, in 1995, a famous, not famous, but popular song by Joan Osborne called One of Us, if you remember, thought about this song, and the, the, I think the climax or the chorus went, what if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home? Do you remember that song? No other God that I know of talks about becoming like you. No other God. Every other God says, I'm here, you're here, let's keep it that way. But Paul is saying that the incarnation is completely different, and because it's so different, you should be different. Right? No other God. Think about this. As human beings, if you like dogs, and I like dogs, I have a cat now, but if you like dogs, you'll do anything for your dog, right? But you don't want to be a dog, do you? You'll do anything for your dog, but you don't want to become a dog, do you? I mean, you want to maintain your humanity. And the thing is, we're not dogs. We're created in the image of a living God, but we're still created. We're not the creator. So why would the creator be a created? And that's what Jesus did. That's humility. 
For many of us, you could give up a right for someone, but you don't want to be that person who had no rights from the beginning. You might ignore your reputation, but you don't want to be that person who just has a bad reputation from the start. It's easy to serve when, when others, when they're in need, but you only serve when you're in the position to give. But let's be honest, you don't want to be that position of needing help. You can endure a little embarrassment for the sake of somebody else, but maybe just only a little, just for a little while, temporarily, as long as you still have your rights, as long as you still have your reputation, as long as you still have a position to be able to give and, and to serve, you can look out for others' interests maybe once in a while as long as you still get to keep your own. And if I said, be like Jesus, and this is what you did, you'd be missing the point. That's not what Jesus did. What Jesus did, what the incarnation tells us, is not that Jesus just gave little of himself out of his reserve. That's not what he said. He didn't just lend a helping hand to those in need. He became someone in need. He didn't just encourage someone of no reputation. He became someone with no reputation. He didn't just encourage someone's self-esteem. He became someone who was put to shame and humiliation. He didn't just help out people who were suffering. He became someone who suffered himself on a cross. Jesus wasn't just some God who came to help out some sinner far away from him. He became a man took our sin in order to bring us closer to God. That's the incarnation. That's the gospel message. In verse 6 through 11, he emptied himself. That's the first Christmas that we're told about. By taking the form of a servant, a slave, being born in the likeness of men, he came, we're told, in order to obey all the way to a dreadful cross. The one who was born of the virgin, who nobody cared about, the one who was laid in a manger, you know, no fancy place, born in amniotic fluid, dirty, messy, etc. Why for us? He did it for us, for those of us who have a hard time being like Jesus or being like Gandhi or being like Mohammed or being like Mother Teresa. This is why Jesus humbled himself. He became one of us to save a slob like one of us. He came in search for you. He came for you to build you into a new family, into a new community, to make you one of his children, to renovate you inside out so that you could press toward him and know him even more. This is the Christmas message. Paul is not simply saying, Jesus is the example I want you to follow. That's true. Jesus is an example that we could follow, but he's saying more than this. Jesus is more than the model of right attitude, of humility. He's the source He's the fountainhead of that attitude. 
And you have this mindset, Paul says in verse 5, because you are united to him. Have this mind. It is yours in Christ. That's what he's saying. So the takeaway is this. Be like him. Not to be saved, but because you already are saved by his grace. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ. And your response should be repentance, a renewed resolve to shatter your pride, to learn a little bit more of this humility, to consider others more significant than yourself. It should, if you really understood the incarnation, it should drive us out of our own heads and minds. It should mean something when we sing these songs and so say those words that we just sung. And if we really believe that, and if you really listen to those things, the question is this. Not what is your response to God, but what are you thinking in the way you act towards one another? If you understand the incarnation, your attitude, not just towards God, but what is your attitude towards others? That's the difference. If the truth we celebrate at Christmas time has really begun to sink down, take root in our minds, let's be honest, you and I would not treat one another in certain ways. It would rewire our priorities, it would change our values. It would change the way you think about your status, your reputation, your material wealth, your service. It would bring in a humility that teaches you to count others more highly than yourself. It would make a huge difference in your life if you really believe in the incarnation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love. We pray. Um, it is a season in the holiday to, to be joyful and thankful, and, and we pray that that's always there. But, um, Lord, that we, not that we're trying to, I guess, Lord, put a damper on the holiday spirit, but, Lord, if we are really thinking about Christmas or the birth of Christ in any way, we pray, Lord, there is of gravity towards that. There is something serious about that. There is something important that we need to know, that we cannot just walk away after giving presents if we really understand the incarnation, but that that incarnation goes with us every day. And so, Lord, remind us again of that humility uh, for us and now with us, and help us, Lord, to consider others the way that you have considered us. We pray, Lord, that our faith is in you and not in people, not in ourselves, in our ability to be humble, but we are able to trust in you who have been humbled for us. Let that idea, let that thought, let that truth more and more dwell in our hearts and minds 
so that it might change in the way that we pursue one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.